0: Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. All right. I'm so excited about what God's doing tonight. We're going to like open up God's word and just dive in deep. And we're going to take a look at what Mark is doing and the structure of how he collected some stories together for a purpose. And it's not a purpose that I saw at face value. So I hope that this is interesting and fun for everybody. All right. So Mark has been a really fabulous book. He has a way of over and over again in every chapter, it seems like he's always presenting Jesus is God. But then at the, si- at the side he has the disciples who are slowly laboriously not quite getting it. And so as he is presenting us this fact, this beautiful revelation, at the same time he's helping us relate to somebody because we don't get it right away. We're sort of slow and laborious and, and yeah, I have to roll this over my mind. I'm not really sure what's going on. And so we relate to the disciples a little bit. I need to pick up from last week a little bit, of what Jim spoke about, because that is going to launch us into this collection of stories that are going to have a really clear point and ask a really vivid question. But first I want to open up with some historical fiction. It's historical because it's out of the book of Exodus, but we're going to throw in a fictional character to relate to. So let's come up with a Jewish name. What's like a super Jewish name that you can think of? Moshe, Jacob, Maskowitz. Fred, it is. Fred came out of Egypt. Everything that he had ever known was being a slave boy. Day in, day out, he was mixing mud and straw to make bricks. Backbreaking work. And then one day in the middle of the night, for no reason whatsoever, mom and dad come in and say, Fred, grab your stuff. We're heading out. Days of slavery are over. And he's like, what? Squee! So they they grab the belongings that they have and they head out into the desert and they carry with them whatever food that they, can, that they can carry and water and they get out and they're making this long trek and instead of making bricks every day, they're hiking every day. And they're following this incredible... Fred is like blown away because every time he looks up, there's this pillar of fire at night and this cloud during the day and they're just following it. And they come to this Red Sea. They don't know what to do and the Egyptians want them to come back and they're willing to beat them down and kill them if they don't come back. And then this crazy miracle happens and Fred is like, whoa! And he's like walking through the Red Sea and there's like fish. That's a whale. And he is just blown away. But their food supplies at home have gotten really low. Mom and dad are only feeding him one meal a day now. And that one meal is not enough to fill him up. And so he hears that the community has elected someone to go to Moses and bring the problem of no food. And so he's like, wow, what's going to happen? What's Moses going to do? He's one guy. So the community sends off this representative and comes back with a message. And the message is that God is going to give bread from heaven. <laughs> like, well, you know, I saw fish in the Red Sea, but I don't really know. Like, I've heard of raiding cats and dogs, but bread, that's outside my paradigm. And the next morning, Fred goes out and there's like this white stuff all over the ground, not a little, like a lot of it. And he tastes it; it tastes like bread seasoned with honey, and it's sweet and great to the taste. And so he, like, yeah, so he gathers up a whole bunch of it. But there's tons and tons, it tons for everybody. Like eight hundred thousand people are out munching honey, tasting bread. And Fred is like, but I don't know about tomorrow. What if we don't have this again tomorrow? Well, see, Fred wasn't paying attention when the representative came back. He's a lot like me. So he gathers up a whole bunch of this extra manna, which just means, what is it? Fred probably named it. What is it. And he takes the manna home and puts it in a jar. And he's like, okay, tomorrow, when my family's hungry again, I've got bread. But the next morning when he wakes up and he takes the lid off the jar, oh, it smells terrible. And he reaches in and there's worms in it. But when he goes outside the tent, there's bread on the ground again. You see, what he had had yesterday was enough for today. But God is a provider for the next day and the next day. And Fred begins to learn about who this Yahweh God is. He's a God who is a provider, who is going to take care of daily needs. Go, Fred. Last week, Jim talked about the story of Jesus and he's out in the wilderness. and He looks down on the people and he sees them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And, and Jim pointed back to Numbers where God tells Moses, you need to appoint someone to be a shepherd. And so Jesus goes out and the people are far away from any city. They're in the wilderness and he takes these loaves and fish and starts breaking them. And it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And they're supposed to get something out of this more than just a meal. And Jim did a great job pointing out some of the beautiful truths. You have to understand That when the meal was over, they had 12 baskets full left over because Jesus is greater than Moses, where the God of the Old Testament through Moses gave just enough for today. Jesus is fulfilling it and superseding it that he's giving enough that there's so much that there's 12 baskets left over after feeding 5,000 men, 20,000 if you count women and children. Jesus is the God of more than enough. Abundance. More than just bread. He's telling a story here. He's telling something that he needs to get across. And Jesus carries this bread theme on. He's going to do it again. He's going to feed 4,000 people with a couple loaves. And then he's going to ask the disciples, are you not understanding about the bread? Do you remember the story about Jesus walking on the water? So guys? The most interesting thing about that story it's not even Jesus walking on the water to me. The interesting thing about the story is that Jesus says to them, you're shocked that this happened because you didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes. And I was like, what? What does walking on the water, calming the storm, have anything to do with the loaves and the fishes? Well, first of all, it was back in Job that God says to Job, I am the God who walks on the waters. Jesus is God. But if they would have understood about the loaves and the fishes, they would have known that Jesus is God, but he's also God provider. Not just provider for right now, barely what you need. He is provider for abundance, more than what you could need. The disciples had nothing to fear because they were with the God of the universe that provides more than enough. This is cool. I like it. I'm down. I I can roll with this. Had they understood the loaves and the fishes, they would have recognized Jesus is God, God provider and the provider of abundance. Last week, when Jim was talking, he said that the disciples had no need to fear. There was no matter their circumstances. All they needed to do was keep rowing, stay on the path. Why? Because Jesus is with us. All right, so now what's going to happen next in the story, which is kind of what we're picking up tonight? So bread. And then now Jesus is going to go and roast the Pharisees. Then Jesus is going to show us an example through a woman of someone who gets it. And then Mark is actually going to repeat the cycle all over again. Jesus is going to feed them bread in the wilderness, the story of the 4,000. He's going to roast the Pharisees. And then he's going to give an example of people that don't get it. And so in this collection of stories, we're going to see this pattern arise that helps us start wrapping our mind around who is Jesus. Jesus. How does he relate to my life? So Jesus provides bread. Jesus roasts Pharisees. Then there's an example of someone who gets it or doesn't get it. This idea of bread is so critical to Jesus. That's why he said if they would have understood about the loaves, they wouldn't have been so afraid. And he he talks about the disciples and he says, beware the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus carries this bread theme all the way until the Last Supper when he holds up the broken bread and says, this is my body. Broken for you. Why? Because Jesus doesn't just give bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread from heaven that would be broken for us. That's why Jesus is continuing this theme, because it's not about what Moses can give in the physical, it's about what God is now giving in the spiritual, and it's himself. To be broken for us, this idea of bread is so critical to Mark and to Jesus. So we're going to open tonight with a verse from Paul that is going to hopefully sit in the background of our minds for the rest of this message. It's Romans seven twenty four through twenty five a, and Paul is crying out out of out of depression, out of anger, out of frustration, out of self loathing, and he says this. He says, "Wretched man that I am." Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's looking in the mirror and he's going, you're you're messed up, you're broken, you're hopeless, there's nowhere to go from here, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this? Verse 25, thanks be to God. Here's the answer, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I told you that Jesus is going to roast some Pharisees. They come to Jesus with like the stupidest things. They come to him and they're like, Jesus, we're really kind of annoyed that your disciples they're not washing their hands before they eat. Kind of a big deal. And then Mark actually kind of gives this parenthetical thought because Mark's writing to Greeks instead of Jews, so they wouldn't understand the, the Levitical law. And he actually includes like it's important. Because they set up these traditions that they wash their hands before they eat. They wash their hands after they do business with with a non-Jew. They also wash their vessels, like the cups and everything. They even wash the benches that they sit on. And it's all part of their tradition. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, your disciples aren't washing their hands. They are defiled. And Jesus is like, let me stop you right there. Okay, hold the mic out. I'm about to drop it on you guys. Their hands are defiled. Jesus picks up on this comment. Mark 7, start in verse 6. And Jesus says to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy? and Isaiah said it right about you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. It's far away. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These people are trying to take traditions and stuff they made up, and they're trying to preach it as if God said it. That's pretty insulting to God. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And Jesus gives this example about what the Pharisees do. You see, back then, they didn't have nursing homes. They didn't have hospice. They didn't have anything to, to take care of people. When your parents got old, you took your parents in. I think we should still do this. You take care of your parents in their old age. When they can't work, whenever they're not able to function as much in society, you take care of the elderly. And so God commands this. He talks about it back in the Old Testament. He also says, you should honor your father and your mother. But the Pharisees set up this great idea called Korban. And Korban was, okay, what you do is you take the money that you would have taken care of them. And if you give a part of that to God, then it releases you of your responsibility to take care of your parents. So you just let them go, let them starve. Let them fend for themselves because now you've done your duty to give to God. God's happy. And Jesus is like, are you crazy? You're throwing away the very commandments of God to take care of people, to love people selfishly. And you're hanging on to the traditions that you make up instead of what God has made up. Verse 15, Jesus goes further and says, there is nothing outside a person. That by going into him can defile him. Jesus is picking up on that defiling theme. And he's talking about food. He's talking about their like, traditions and rituals. There's nothing that can go into him that can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And if you're like, I- I'm, I'm not really with you. Good. The disciples weren't either. And they go to Jesus. Verse 17. And when they had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside, it can't defile him since it enters not his heart, not his mind, but it enters his stomach and then it's expelled. This is the nice translation of then you poop it out. doesn't matter what you eat. It all goes to the same place, right? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person, that's what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, that's where come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is like, what does it even matter what you eat? That's really significant because we'll fast forward the story to Peter and he has this big vision that God says, hey, look, I'm lifting the, the food stuff. And if anybody in here likes baking cheeseburgers as much as I do, you're like, go yeah, go lifting the food stuff. Side note, don't want you to twist this verse, because if you're like, what, I can put anything I want into my body, and it doesn't, there's nothing wrong with that, and you're like, awesome, drugs, excessive alcohol, garbage media, vaping, yay, the Bible says it, It says I can put anything I want into my body, right, right, no, no, that's stupid, this is in the context of food. If you're going to take like a scripture and then bend it to be what you want, I mean, that's just insulting to God. Just If you're going to sin, no matter what the Bible says, just sin. Don't, don't pick a scripture out and twist it. But it's what comes out of our hearts. Sin doesn't begin with our actions. It comes from within the heart of a man or a woman. We can attempt to fix our outward actions with punishment, with laws, with self-help books, all we want. But the root, We will never scratch the surface of our hearts. We can come up with all kinds of ways to be better humans. We'll never deal with the actual disease that's our human heart. that's coming out of us. Matthew 5, Jesus, this is just a paraphrase. Jesus basically takes all the outward actions and just zeroes in on the heart. And he says, hey, look, if you have hatred or anger towards somebody, God counts that as killing them. That's just as bad as murder. If you're lusting after somebody, God counts that just as much as any sexual sin, like adultery. Jesus takes it right to the heart. It's not about your actions. Nothing outside of you could have happened, but you're already sinning because it comes from that corrupt, lost, imperfect, dead, hopeless human heart. The best that the Pharisees' law and traditions can do is just deal with the symptom of sin. The disease up until this point, is completely unreachable. I want to go back to Romans. Remember when Paul cried out at the beginning of this, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I want to back up in that list a little bit and give some context. This sounds like it's coming from a guy that's wrestled as much as I have, maybe as much as you have. Romans seven fifteen, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For what I do not want to do, I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Jump forward to verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Paul's recognizing it. There's nothing. You can open up this chest cavity and you're just going to find a filthy, filthy heart. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do. That's what I end up doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law. Here's the law that I see. When I want to do what's right, evil lies close at hand. let's get back to that verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul has tried straining to fix himself, but he's come to the recognition of the impossibility of correcting the problem of his own heart. But as if he hears what we respond, what now? What hope is there? He gives us the answer to the question. Verse 25, Thanks be to God. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jump forward to chapter Romans 8, 1 through 2. This is Paul again. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That heart, that filthy heart, we can't reach? Jesus can. He's the only one. He's the only one that can reach in to a black heart, cover it with red blood, and leave it white as snow. That's the Jesus that we serve. We are set free in Christ Jesus from this law of sin and death. So, my challenge to you tonight is totally give up, let it go. Stop turning to the person in the mirror to fix the person in the mirror. I'm telling you, there is not a heart surgeon out there talented enough to do a heart transplant on himself. You're not going to be able to pull that off. All we can do is turn to Jesus, who is God, who is our provider, the provider of not barely enough, not temporary, but of more than enough, of abundance. What can resuscitate the dead human heart? It's not physical bread. It's that bread that is from heaven, that is Jesus. That sin-blasting, hell-crushing, death-destroying ingredient of grace. But how much grace? I love it. I told you, Mark, Jesus gives bread, Jesus roasts the Pharisees, Jesus gives an example. Here's our example. How much grace? Verse 24. Then from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it, yet he couldn't be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and she came and she fell down at his feet. Now here's the key. Now this woman was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew, a Syrophoenician by birth. That means that she doesn't know about all the purity laws of the Pharisees. She doesn't have all the traditions. She's not, you know, sacramentally clean the way all the rest of the Jews claim to be. What happened? She begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he says to her, let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Like you have to understand, this is a desperate mom. She may have tried doctors. She may have tried other sort of like people that may be in witchcraft or whatever. And because, I mean, she's not a Jew. She's probably gone to other gods or idols or whatever. And yet her little girl continues to be possessed by something she doesn't understand, something that scares her, something that's powerful and demonic and awful. And there is no hope for this lady. But she hears this rumor about this one guy who's known for casting out demons. And so she crosses who knows how many miles to come and find him. She stands before Jesus. She falls at his feet in a crowd in a community she's not supposed to be in. She's a woman. Strike one. She's ceremonially unclean. Strike two. She pushes her way into some place that she's not supposed to be. Strike three. And Jesus looks at her and says, I'm not even here for you. Why am I going to take what I'm here for and throw it to dogs? It sounds so insulting. Is Jesus testing her? Absolutely because her answer is so profound that it impacts the rest of the world. It impacts me and you. Get this. Verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. I agree with you, Jesus. Like, she doesn't even back up, Call me what? Yes, Lord. Yet, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed with the demon gone. Matthew 15, 21 through 28 tells this story, but Jesus in this story pronounces something over her. He only says twice. He says that she has great faith. He only said that about the Syrophoenician woman and the centurion that came and said, Jesus, I know that you can heal because as a man under authority, I know that you have authority. He says that she has great faith. Why? What has she picked up? It's because she believes Remember what Jesus says? Why am I going to give this bread? And she responds, Yeah, but even the dogs, they pick up the crumbs that are left over. She believes there are leftovers enough for her. What kind of leftovers? More than enough leftovers. What kind of leftovers? Twelve baskets of leftovers. There's more. That's why... In Romans chapter 116, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and then also the Gentile, the non-Jew. She's recognizing that Jesus, yep, he's here first for the Jews, but there are leftovers of grace for me and for my girl. There's leftovers of grace for everyone that doesn't come from your traditions, Pharisees, that doesn't have your little fancy laws. There's more than enough leftover because he's a God of grace, and he's a God That loves me and my little girl at home. Yeah. Jesus is God. He is God the provider, but He is the God of provider that has more than enough of great abundance. A non Jew gets it, the Syrophoenician woman gets it that there is grace enough. Maybe you have a sin that's weighing you down. Maybe there's a problem. Maybe it's not even a sin. There's just this issue going on in your life. And it is dragging you under. You can't get it off your mind. It's what you wake up thinking about every day. It's this constant picking. When you're at school, it's hard to focus. Maybe you've tried your best to fix yourself. You keep looking at the person in the mirror and going, Today, I'm going to be better whatever the heck that looks like. Maybe you've been trying open-heart surgery on yourself and it's just not working because you keep finding you're the same. Maybe, for like her, things just seem desperate. I'm telling you that we serve a God. Mark wants you to know. Paul wants you to know that he is a God so full of grace that it's not just enough for today, that you can put it in a jar and it rots out for tomorrow. You see the sacrifices that they did for all those years? They were incomplete. They would do these sacrifices and kill these lambs or bulls or whatever to to have their sins put on this animal, you know, like in this metaphorical way. But then they'd have to do it again next year and next year. And next year, and the priests would go, and they would sprinkle blood on the, the tabernacle or the temple, and, and it was it was okay, but sin would seem to creep back in, so they had to do it again the following year. It was incomplete. It was imperfect. It never quite sealed the deal. But Jesus comes, and he fulfills all of that because he is now the perfect lamb, and his blood is sprinkled on everyone who calls on him as Lord. And as the perfect lamb, he brings the bread of heaven, himself. But it doesn't rot today. There's an abundance and overabundance of grace. Maybe you're like, but Jesus can't forgive my amount of sin. You don't understand what I've done, Dom. Don't tell Dom, tell God. God, you don't understand. And God's like, do you even know how much I love you? Do you know how far I'm willing to go to take what you think is astronomical throw it away as far as the east is from the west do you know how powerful I am and guess what it's not just powerful enough for your sins it's over and abundantly powerful more than you could ever imagine or think it's grace enough and more than enough there's a story about David He had already become king. And every night he would sit down at his fine table full of food and there was gold ornaments all over the walls and high-class dining. It's kind of like Daughters of the King, but every night for David. And all of his sons and daughters would come and they'd have this big feast and banquet. And every night they would sit down at the table and before they started eating, David would look around and go, whoa, 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 wait. We're missing somebody. Somebody's not here yet. And maybe they grew accustomed to the sound coming down the stone hallway. Maybe it sounded like this. Maybe it was the click of wood on marble. Click, step, thud, drag. Click, step, drag. Click, step, drag. And from around the corner, a man who was lame in his legs, pulling himself by his crutches, named Mephibosheth, was bringing himself to the table of the king. Because decades ago, David loved Jonathan, the king's son, like a brother. And David made a promise to Jonathan. You see, back in those days, when you tick a throne, you needed to wipe out every adversary you might have. And so it was customary for a king to slay the family of the previous king Immediately. And so, as this big revolt is happening, Mephibosheth's nanny scoops him up in her arms and she runs to try to protect this little boy, Jonathan's son. Jonathan's dead, his father is gone. And so, she takes it on herself to protect this little boy. And in her running away, he falls and he breaks both of his legs, and they're never set again. And she scoops him up and takes him out into the wilderness, and there they try to survive and try to live. And she tries to take care of this boy. But David remembers a promise that he made a long time ago. And he goes searching. Are there any descendants of my old brother left? And he finds Mephibosheth. And he stands in Mephibosheth's tent where he's tried to survive all this time. And he says, Mephibosheth, because of a promise I made to your dad, you will eat at my table every night for the rest of your life. That's the picture of grace. That's the picture of Jesus saying, I know your past. I see where you're crippled. But because of a promise that I made millennia ago, whenever Eve was caught in her sin and I said guess what, the day is coming and I'm going to crush the head of the tempter. And he's going to bruise, he's going to bruise my heel, but he's going down in the dirt to be broken. And then God makes that promise to Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the generations eternally. What? And then he talks to David. David, through you, I'm going to raise up a king that will live for a kingdom eternal, not flesh and blood. And through Daniel, that king is going to stand before me and I will give him the nations to reign forever. And God remembers this promise. And then he made you a promise that whoever would believe on him because God loved you that much will have eternal life. We don't have to worry about hell, damnation, none of that. We have eternal life because of a promise that Jesus made me and you. And so Mephibosheth scoots up to the table who has been honorably waited on by the king, scoots up and the tablecloth covers his legs, and he participates with the king's family. You see, God sees you just the way you are, but he heals the brokenness. He heals the sin, and he invites you to his table. Romans chapter 8 says that he calls you a son or a daughter by adoption, witnessed by the Holy Spirit, for you to call him dad, Abba. Because like David, there is grace. But greater than David, there is grace abundant beyond anything that we can ask or think. That's the God that we serve, the God that's waiting for you, the God that's inviting you to his table. Let's take a minute. Every Everyone close your eyes and bow your heads. Let's take a minute just between us and God. Just between you and the Lord. Ask Him to search you. Is there anything that you need to ask forgiveness for? Instead of running from the God who can save and forgive, take a moment to run to Him. Climb up in your daddy's lap. Give him a bear hug and ask him to forgive you. Tell him you're sorry and let him pour his overabundant 12 baskets of leftovers kind of grace over you. Use your imagination to feel his arms bear hug you back see the smile on his face with a child that he loves so much who is willing to take him at his word and believe I think we should take it a step further let's ask the Lord who in our lives we haven't forgiven? Who is it that we're still frustrated with or bitter? Maybe it's someone that you forgot about a long time ago. Or maybe it's someone that comes to your mind immediately. Ask the Lord to give you the strength to offer forgiveness. Maybe this is a journey that you begin now that doesn't end tonight. Maybe it's a forgiveness that you have to offer with words first and let the Lord bring your heart along soon. Maybe you have to forgive them every day, every hour. Begin that journey tonight. Because the God of grace who is pouring that over you is also pouring that over them. And we are setting ourselves against God's will against his love whenever we fail to operate in the same forgiveness that he so willingly died for to give. Let's do a heart cleansing tonight. Best your spirit here tonight Lord it is a joy to honor you to study your word thank you Lord for Mark and his brilliant style of building his book thank you for these patterns that declare you as the God of provision of overabundance of provision what a faithful incredible God you are Lord, I pray that tonight you are releasing hearts that have been in bondage a long time. That you're setting free minds that have been weighed down from sin or unforgiveness or insecurity, doubt of any kind, of fear. Lord, rebuke the lies of the enemy. Do a new thing in us us to walk giving the same grace that you offer us thank you Jesus Holy Spirit fill elevate fill your people Help us to remember that everyone that we lock eyes with is loved by you. And help us align with that love and how we treat them, how we speak to them, how we speak about them. Help us remember to run to you first whenever we sin, whenever we blow it. I don't know why we run from the antidote when we recognize our disease. do open heart surgery on all of us use your Holy Spirit Windex to clean off our hearts let this week glorify you through your living through us in Jesus name amen